0: Uh, I pray saying, God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this lesson. Thank you for just this church, the avenue, Tim, and the leadership, and just welcoming a topic such as this in our season of the church and America and the stuff we're wrestling with. Lord, bless our time tonight. Uh, bless the conversation. Bless the material. Help us to see your people, your history, the church different, and help us to be a group that engages culture uh, in the right conversations, in the right dialogues, uh, in the right way. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week, uh, we left off at the Slave Bible, for those that were here last week. So we talked about, last week, just going through it the different narratives of Christianity that you hear about. So we talked about how um, they say Christ wasn't real. We, they say how Christ was a copy of uh, Horus and in, in Egyptian gods. We talked about how um, Jesus was created at the Council of Nicaea. We'll walk through some of that today, some more, but we left off with the slave Bible. Has anybody ever heard of this? The slave Bible. All right, so I'm going to pass around with Thomas. Take a few seconds, dig through, and just pass around like as I talk. So in 1807, um, English clerics, pastors, scholars, teachers made a book, made a Bible that had roughly 90% of the Old Testament taken out. And 50% of the New Testament taken out and this Bible was circulated around the West Indies around the around Haiti and Dominican Republic um, all the islands and then comes up to America right I'm saying that because when you think about one of the narratives we that we mentioned last week one of the narratives in the black community and even among you know other communities as well in America is that. The Bible promotes oppression, the Bible promotes uh, sexism, the Bible promotes uh, the oppression of marginalized groups, right? Like, that's the narrative that we hear in our communities. And one of the biggest ways that was seen historically is in the slave Bible. To date, there's about three original copies left. One used to be in Fisk University in, in Nashville. Fisk had one of the original slave Bibles. Since then, it's moved up to D.C., Where the museum of the bible is right there i think that opened about five or six years ago but they have a copy there now and two more in england what you'll see in a few seconds is a photocopy of a guy that took his last name as lumpkin he went to england with permission and photocopied the entire slave bible and once he photocopied it he mass produced it you can find that on amazon right now for 27 dollars the entire photocopied original, the slave Bible, right? So I'm saying that because um, this is history that we need to know about. As people talk about the scriptures and they talk about, man, the Bible, you know, oppresses black people and marginalized people and the Bible condones slavery. We need to be able to say, you know what? There was a time where something was made for that this is it so why was the slave bible made um the haitian revolution a couple of years before was the first successful uh, slave revolt in the west and there was so much fear of that happening again that the slave bible was made right so historically the bible has been used to oppress but that's not the scriptures intent. We have to differentiate b- between what the Bible's intent is and what man has done to taint the scriptures, right? So What do y'all think about that? What do y'all think about The fact that so much time and effort was put into making a text like that Anger, confusion, okay How so? Um, Did it work? It worked for a long time. I would say it worked for a long time. Okay. Because you still have black people in our community who think that they don't believe in the Bible for that reason. Mm. So they still think that yeah. people, so. I see what you're saying, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like the narrative worked. Yes. It worked, yeah. Anybody else? I mean,
1: it's just pure evil. Like, yeah. Like, it doesn't really get much more than that.
0: Yeah. Pure evil. yeah for sure so if you guys so thinking about slaves in america i want to start from the beginning briefly and then get to the slave bible originally slaves were not given scriptures when when they first got to america this idea that the white man white supremacy gave black people the bible to keep them oppressed from the beginning is not true originally the idea was Slaves were not even smart enough or holy enough to learn. They didn't even see us as having souls for a number of years, right? But some things started to happen in America that changed that narrative. You ever heard of what's called the Great Awakening? John Edwards, George Whitefield, John Wesley, right? The three founding fathers of evangelical Christianity in America. There was like mass evangelization or, like evangelism in America. So, one of the things that happens is that uh, as this happens, they're like, okay, we're evangelizing everybody. Maybe slaves need to be evangelized too, right? So, as that idea is happening, now you start getting the idea of, okay, how do we do this in a way that still maintains control? So so like systematically, this conversation was already going on. But what broke the camel's back was the Haitian Revolution. And then once that happened, now the slave Bible comes into effect. Right. And so. As we move on from this and into today's conversation. When someone says, hey, your Bible, your book talks about oppression. We need to be honest and say, you know what? You're right. Historically, there was a time where men pervert the scriptures. They tanned the scriptures, but we had to be able to say how and why. There was a slave Bible made. But it's not the entire Bible. It's not. Um, y'all be honest. This, to walk through the scriptures and talk about slavery, why the Bible talks about slavery, why the Bible condones slavery, it's probably a two hour conversation. I will not do it justice to talk about it right now, but I will say this. Slavery in the Bible, and this is where we have to kind of think about where we kind of insert our own ideas into slavery into actual historical context, right? Biblical slavery was not the same as our slavery. If you look at biblical times, uh, Old Testament even New Testament once Rome comes on the scene a lot of people Would sell themselves as slaves and here's why They realized that For us men in here back in that time if I realized that I couldn't take care of myself if I realized that I couldn't take care of my family if I realized that I had trouble providing then I would sell, that I could sell myself to somebody as an indentured servant and work under them with the promise that they would take care of my family. Right, so biblical slavery, ancient slavery wasn't always forced slavery. A lot of times it was offered slavery and we'll talk about that next week as we talk about the black Hebrew Israelites and how they twist Deuteronomy 28, right? But with, this, but with that concept, it wasn't always forced slavery. It was, man, you know what? I'm going to give myself to somebody so they can take care of me. So in the Old Testament, when you see all these laws about slavery and and, and, and about and about how to treat slaves, we think, okay, is Moses, is God condoning this? They're not. But what the Bible does speak to is the reality of is that people will do this to one another. They will sell themselves to other people for charity and for protection And to be taken care of but as this happens I have a law that says do them no harm I have a law that says be just I have a law that says uh, you were once slaves in Egypt Israelites therefore don't oppress the foreigner and the slave that's under you right so there's laws because here's what the Bible does speak to the the Bible is not blind to human sin It's not blind to systemic injustice. And so as God gives these laws, knowing history and knowing how people will do it, I can't tell Jermonte, hey man, don't say yourself to me. I can't say that. If he he goes to me and says, hey George, I need help. Here's my service for 15 years to take care of my family. I can't turn him away, especially if he knows he needs that. But if I take him under me, as a servant as a slave as an israelite now god's law comes into effect with me and it says do this brother no harm right and so it's not what we think in terms of they mass and like a mass systemic process uprooted black people onto a ship and took them to america it was not like that especially in ancient israel now when we get to the new testament in rome Y'all promise, I did not mean to spend this this much time on this. I didn't. But I know we just have to talk about it because it's a real conversation. So New Testament, Rome is on the scene and most of the Roman culture was slaves. So Jesus, the the Messiah arrives on the scene. Disciples are coming. People are getting saved. All kinds of people are accepting the gospel and the Roman culture caused Christianity, the religion of slaves, because so many lower class people were converting. So now Paul's writing all these letters, Paul's writing all these epistles. And so Paul understands that in my church, I can, a, I can have a Jewish scribe, I can have a rich Gentile Roman that owns land, and I can have a slave. I can have all three in this house church ran by somebody and one of the books that talks about there's the book of Philemon it's the shortest New Testament book about 30 verses it's about that concept so as Paul's writing the New, the, the New Testament he understands hey if you can win your freedom win it he says this in 1 Corinthians 7 if you can win your freedom go get it but if there's a place where you cannot win it in this church In this assembly, these are the guidelines, right? And we also have to understand this too. And this is where, as Americans, we can't insert our privilege into a text. In America, we have freedom of speech. That is uncommon in human history. Y'all realize how uncommon that is to protest outside your government like we do? In human history, that was not happening at all Rome, Greece, other parts of Islam, other parts of the world If you did that, they're coming at you And they're killing you, imprisoning you, or torturing you So in ancient Rome, if Paul says to all slaves That volunteered and didn't volunteer Hey bruh, protest You know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? Death to everybody. Death to everybody. But what Paul does historically is Paul sets the stage for what we have today. And this is where we're going with that. So I'm going to pin it after this, and then we'll jump into Black church history in Africa. So, so what Paul sets the stage for is, is, is what Tom Holland says in his book, Dominion. Tom Holland is an atheist historian, a war-winning historian. I would probably say agnostic now because he has so much respect for the Christian faith. What well, he writes is this. Tom Holland says that if you look at the West, Europe, America, parts of the world where we are so pro life driven, right? We fight for the poor, like even unbelievers in Europe and America and like other places fight for the poor. They're fighting for women, they're fighting for children, like they're fighting they're fighting for all these groups. Tom Holland says this, I can trace that back to Christianity. And what he's saying is that the Christian faith has impacted the world in ways that even those that hate the faith are picking up. It was the Christian faith that gave life to people. It was the Christian faith that helped the entire world see the value of life. It was no other faith, right? And so if you think about even ancient Rome, they were killing kids. They were, you had a number of sex slaves. Women couldn't do a lot in Roman society. In fact, he was like, if I look at pagan European society, The unbelievers the Christians gave morality and for 2,000 years despite hiccups in history right it was us that gave us it was the writings of Paul that gave us the morality that we have today in America in Europe and other places no other place and so as we think about the impact of the Christian faith as we think about does the Bible talk about oppression does the Bible promote oppression how can that happen When it was the Christian faith that sets the seed for our morality today in life. So here's the apologetic. For those that champion pro-life, for those that champion justice, for those that champion all these things. Ask, where'd you get that from? Oh, I, I just. Where did you get that from? It wasn't. The fact that we see that in society, man, the church birthed that 2,000 years ago in the writings of Paul. Take five. Feel free to ask questions. <laughs> or feel free to disagree. Let's talk about that if you want to. <laughs> if y'all, and for, the, for y'all looking, at your notes i'm i'm finishing week three i'm not i'm not in week four yet i'm finishing up because last week we ran out of time so you're saying american
1: flavor did
0: not look the same as like roman flavor Mm-mm, not at all in rome you had a combination of uh have y'all seen gladiator the movie have y'all heard of it right so rome had had gladiators a lot of times they were slaves that were prisoners of war. So you had slaves that were prisoners of war. You had slaves of those that sold themselves. You had slaves of those that, uh, that were indentured. In fact, most of the society was considered slave in, sla- a slave in Rome. But it was d- levels of degrees. You had the worst of the worst, where they were abused all the time by their slave masters in all kinds of ways. I'm not going to get graphic with it. You had others in Roman slavery that, that were the equivalent of like a secretary, secretary admin, uh, part business owner. In fact, Rome has such a wide view of slavery and those who were slaves, it wasn't uncommon for a slave to be smarter than his slave master, to have more education than his slave master. That was not uncommon because of how vast it was. It was levels of degrees. So when we say, uh, so, as we see Paul write about slaves in the Bible, we just see and think about one kind. It could have been a, a sister that ran her master's estate, and he was on the other side of Rome. And she's like, Man, I got a good, bro, compared to some of y'all. I own all this, second to him, and he ain't messing with me. You know, so like, those, like, that's the idea. Now, that wasn't everybody, but it was levels of degrees to that. Anyone else, man, this is good. This is good. Are right, y'all's minds spinning right now? <laughs> everyone's like, whoa. Have y'all ever heard this before? Like yeah, this? I, I've heard a little bit of a
1: little bit of that? Bit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. of okay they can pay mm mm-hmm. pay their own freedom, you know. Yeah. I know about, that. I know about that, that 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 part of the history. Yeah. Know? And they were saying like the difference between that slavery and the after slavery was like with after slavery, you were just slave cooked by your way, buy your freedom, you were born a slave. Yeah. That's like the main difference, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Chattel slavery versus indentured servitude. And next week, again, I promise you, we'll dive into that more in more depth as we talk about the Black Hebrew Israelites and their doctrine and what they believe about slavery. It's gonna be good next week, but I'm gonna say that for some more. Jamonte like, yeah, I'm ready for that, all right. Anybody else? All right, if we good, I'm gonna give y'all 30 seconds for y'all's minds to kind of relax and for y'all to take notes, <laughs> and then we'll dive into. You know, come, never on, heard come on, come on, man. Like, what about so about three years ago, I was in, I was in New Orleans uh, at my seminary. CJ Rhodes. Uh, CJ is a pastor, and he's I think he's a chaplain at one of the HBCUs in uh, in Mississippi. He's also he was a beast of a scholar too. He did, a, he, he did a breakout session on the black church as apologetics. Mm-hmm. And in the session, he talks about the slave Bible. And I was like, what? Immediately, I started researching the slave Bible, immediately. So for the past couple of years, I've been reading up on it, looking through it, studying it, because I was blown away that they took out so much of the Bible, right? I have a question, so, come on, so come how much on.
1: did they take, I mean, what exactly did they take
0: out the Slave Bible? Like, what, I got, I got it right here. There's an exact percentage of it. Gives all the, you all the numbers right there. Okay. Yep. Of each book. And, and it even has the books all in there. It, it has the entire Slave Bible in that edition. You can see what chapters they took out and everything. Philemon's not in there. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> right? Oh, oh. is. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Zero percent. Zero <laughs> yeah, percent, right? In fact, if you if you look at in, in the slave Bible, the minor prophets aren't in there. Philemon's not in there, right? Most of Exodus ain't in there, mm-hmm. right? Nice. Okay. If huh? Is Leviticus in there?
1: Yeah, I mean, no, it's not, nope, nope. Yep, nope. They took it out. <laughs> they, they took out numbers. Where were they
0: talk about treating slaves, right, huh? Yeah, they took out, they took it out they huh? They took out judges, the huh The conquest books, right, where they, where, 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 where they take the land, right? That's out too, right? OK. Yeah, they took out okay.
1: Revelation.
0: They took out yeah, right. so The authors of this were the three men. What names again? I didn't give names. I was saying it was a combination of uh, English scholars, clerics, Religious leaders came together and think about how much time that took to systematically go through the text, think about what needs to go in there, what does it, mass produce it, and then send it over over water to different plantations and areas and cities and it's like that's that's insidious, bro. I'm gonna use a big word. That's insidious. That ain't evil, that's insidious. What year that's did the, terrible. Uh, did the Man, I think that happened in 1804. <laughs> <laughs> Don't s- somebody a- fact check for me. When was the Haitian Revolution? I think it was 1804. Did they had a slave before that. Like, nope. Nope. 1804? Yeah, from 1791
1: to 1804.
0: 13 years, a 13 year revolution. That's crazy.
1: Was it like a particular denomination that compiled the slave Bible? Bet you
0: it was a Protestant. Hey, Bubba. What you doing? Hey, man. Say, hey, everybody. You, you want to teach class? Want to teach class? talking about the slave Bible. Um, think about, too, uh, Deja, when we had, starting with Trayvon Martin 2011, when we started to see, like, this new generation of activists, Black Lives Matter, you know, rise up right, and we saw these, these these young Black Americans being shot, regardless of what crime they committed, right, or what you think crime was committed—keyword you thought right, innocent to proven guilty, right? Like that's what the law says: innocent to proven guilty. So you can't shoot nobody unless there is a case in a trial that proves you are that, right? So regardless, there should there should not be any death prior to your trial. That's what I'm trying to say. You should have your day in court, right? All that to say, y'all, in such a tense conversation, he just laughing. I just, I just love it, I just love it. So all have to say, as that was happening, and we saw us people of color and some of our white brothers and sisters protesting with us in the church about this, you heard a lot of white Christians say, Hey, bro, just preach the gospel. Leave social justice out of this. Every time I hear that, you know, I think about that's what the slave Bible was. I'm going to give you Jesus. But leave justice out of it. So that is an ideology. That is a demonic stronghold. I'll say it that has reverberated over time. This is not an accident. And I'll be honest, I would even say some of my white brothers and sisters don't even understand that. So if you notice, um, last year I wrote two pieces on this for the Jew 3 project. And I said that I was like, whenever you tell an press like an a press group in your assembly as a church, to lead their desires for justice at the door and just Im- and just embrace and just embrace Jesus. That is a slave Bible ideology. And I can talk about that for about three hours, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Man, when Paul tells us. Um, I love that boy laugh. When Paul says that He made Jesus who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God That word righteousness is also synonymous with the word justice In in the Greek language, it's similar righteousness and justice And so what he's saying is is that man, some One of the best ways to be righteous is to administer justice right and so as believers as we have as christ has taken on our sin right and we have embraced his righteousness man part of that is is being the people who are just and we cannot eliminate that from our faith because it's no different than man living out a slave bible ideology All right. All right, moving on to African church history. Um, Icebreaker, now it's time for y'all to talk to each other. I'm done talking for right now. (laughs) Here's the icebreaker um, for today. Y'all talk to each other. Discuss your experience hearing about church history with one another, of course. Was it a diverse group of voices? Yes or no? And if it was a diverse group of voices, talk about what you learned. This could be a very short, a very long conversation. <laughs> but y'all talk to each other for, for a couple of uh-huh. seconds. Come on. It
1: was just like, I know like a little bit about this, like the early church history, like St. Augustine, uh-huh. people like that. And it's, it's like it's a, it's like they don't really teach. I know, like in a grand scheme of things, color. But you know, I'm just saying that they don't really teach you that a lot of these people, the people of color of black people. And this this like, I just recently found out about this like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. You know everything. I've heard that her that name, but I had no idea he's from North Africa. Uh huh. And, and everything. So do you think that they like? suppress the
0: information or mm-hmm. they do back, i mean you know you know what i'm saying what it,
1: i'm
0: it, gonna answer that but y'all talk to each other right. okay. <laughs> <laughs> i ain't I, gonna stay at time for y'all okay. come on yep all right. <laughs> hey bubba what you doing you your name. he has That's so funny. That's so funny. The back inside. Just wanted to come out for a second. And I will have a short quiz toward the end. Actually, I'm going to have a, a little friendly competition. Whoever answers the question correctly gets a free copy of How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind, written by Thomas C. Oden. So y'all pay, y'all pay attention. Yeah, so no. you know they
1: didn't want the slaves to I mean. have born, you know what I'm mean. saying? So that's, all, that's what think, right? that. That thing, that's what I'm why I yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that. But you get into the value. No, no, no. And the revolt wasn't that long ago. That also was what was it? So the A two hundred years ago, the Haitian Revolt? That wasn't that wasn't that long ago. That's what Four, 4 or 5 generations
0: that's that's not that long. like it seemed like it's or four that's not so long. So talking, yeah, I not yeah. generations mm hmm it's
1: crazy it's
0: crazy it's not not long at all. It wasn't. Bro, my mom. (laughs) Mind blown. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is what, you know what I'm saying? That's what surprised me. It It was 13 years. They fought for that long. That means it's 13 nobody nobody gotta lose that. So It's crazy, Jim. It's crazy. Yep. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right, let's wrap. Let's wrap. Quick question. Are y'all enjoying this? Yeah, yeah. Y'all enjoying this? Okay. Okay. Because I'm seeing y'all like, I can, I can tell y'all just thinking like, oh my God. Oh my God. So I'm glad y'all enjoying it. But yeah, talk to me. What y'all discussing amongst each other?
1: i just flipping through it. it, it the first chapter, of Exodus. He still can't get over like, no, it's I just, I'm just flipping through it. It's like, they didn't start with Exodus 1. They started Exodus. The first book of Exodus, it started Exodus chapter 19. 19. let the whole first 18 chapters. The whole the 18 chapters. i was, I was going to know
0: this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's sobering, ain't it? This is like, yeah, like it's 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 some dark stuff, man. Some dark stuff. Man, what if ooh, you have that like, stronghold, like, yes, man, stronghold. Of, like, mis- so, <coughs> justice, like, Carly, can yes. I say something to you? I okay, can I say something yeah. to you? So I want y'all to 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 kind of grab hold to to this concept. I know. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about a lot of a lot of historical facts, right? a lot of facts, a lot of information. But catch what she just said, the spiritual stronghold, man, that is on that is that is that is on your mind. That is making you create stuff like a slave Bible that's making you believe these false things about Jesus. Right. The demonic forces at play here. I was talking to Jamonte and and David, but this is where in the midst of a slave Bible and all this stuff, I marvel at the spirit of God, how our ancestors could get what they had for a lot of them, this is what they had. And for most of them, they still knew something wasn't right. They still knew something was not right. The fact that they wrote all these Negro spirituals about freedom and going home and I'm on my way. Right. They could write that and love them. That's all they had was pieces and fragments. And I was telling these guys, man, it's amazing how the how how the spirit of God and just what little of the word that we have can fill in the gaps that our natural mind can. not And that's the supernatural power of the gospel. That's the supernatural power of God's word. So even today in the midst of my life, in my storms, I can just take a scripture and a scripture can speak to my situation. And one scripture can carry me through an entire season of my life with just that. God's word is powerful, y'all. It is supernatural. It's It's living, man. It's active. Come on. Come on living active the word paul uses in ephesians for that is the word rhema when he says the word of god the sword of spirit which is the word of god he uses the word rhema for the word of god not logos the word rhema he's talking about rhema in context of spiritual warfare and rhema is the specific word it's not the totality of the word it's I can take a specific, precise word and I can do battle with the enemy, y'all. Ooh, memorize memorizing scriptures. Because in the moment that that time in your life comes and the battle was coming to you, whether in an apologetic conversation or in that relationship, on your job or in that season you're struggling with, with your mental health, there is a verse, there's a rhema word that can help you do battle with the enemy, man. It is the power of God's word that does that. Okay, I'm done preaching. All right. Y'all, uh, anyone else before I dive into yeah, I
1: just noticed that it went through the slave Bible. They took out the whole book of Psalms. And I was like, I mean, this is like just. That's I, crazy. I think, I think it's because they don't want to give the slaves inspiration. i is mean, just, my, that's one thing. It's like, It's like the most inspirational books
0: of the Bible, of verses they took out. I don't know what the name is Job in there? Check, check uh, for check for me. See, uh, see, see Job know. in there. It's, n- it's not Jamante <laughs> like it. It ain't G. It ain't it ain't. Maybe just chapter one. Chapter two. <laughs> <one. laughs> yeah. oh uh,
1: yeah, Job was in there, but they took out uh, 14%, fourteen percent for they they took out fourteen percent
0: of Job. No, fourteen percent of Job 17. is left in there. Oh left in okay. there, okay. Dang. Oh, okay. <laughs> And Job, have y'all ever read through Job? Like, have y'all ever read through the Book of Job? Like, like there's actually parts in there about slavery, like that he talks about, and he actually gives like a context to slavery in that time. And so a lot of scholars think Job is like pre-Abraham. So this is like early, early biblical history. Yeah. Uh huh. So if if you look at like chronological Bible history. Between Genesis 11 and 12, Job takes place. And then right after Job takes place, like the entire story of Job, then Abraham's story picks up where like God calls him. And so Job kind of gives a picture, if we're going by that chronologically, of how God dealt with humanity prior to Abraham. Fascinating book. Fascinating book. Read through it and study it next time y'all do that. It's amazing. All right. Um, okay. Okay. I'm oh God, can I do this in 20 minutes? I think I can. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm gonna try to. Okay. Alright. So today's lesson, finishing off last week, today's lesson is supposed to be on uh what would I call this? Uh African the African and Black Presence in Church History. So uh I started out with the verse on top as y'all see it. Uh, I'm surprised I left out the quotations, but this is Acts 13. This is Acts 13 verses one through three. And it says, now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon called Niger. Why is he called Niger? He's a dark skinned man. He's he's sub-Saharan. He's a dark skinned brother. He's not Jewish. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, brother from Cyrene, Africa. Uh, Menean Who had had been brought up With Herod the Tetrarch Hold up King Herod The dude that was against John the Baptist And Jesus He's in this John too Oh snap We got a whole crew All right, And Saul who was Paul While they were worshipping the Lord And fasting The Holy Spirit said Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul Also called Paul For the work to which I called them so after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. If anybody ever says to you, Christianity and black people don't mix, this verse right here can stop them. For two reasons. First reason, the church of Antioch was the first was one was was the first. Uh, majority non-Jewish church in, in church history. Some scholars will also tell you that the church of Antioch was also Paul's home church based on what a home church does for you, sends you out, supports you, right? So a lot of people think this was Paul's home church, Antioch. It's a majority Gentile church. It's also the place where we are first called Christians. This is in Acts 11, church of Antioch. So we were first called Christians in a Gentile church, where you had dark-skinned people, non-Jewish people in it, right? People from Africa in the group, right? Here's also what makes this more powerful: is the fact that these brothers are the ones that laid hands on the apostle Paul and sent him out to save the world—not save the world, but sent him out on a, on, a, on a missionary journey, a series of them that would change the world. Dark skinned people were laying hands on the great apostle Paul, fasting with him, praying with him and said, go forth and be all God called you to be. That's an apologetic for you. That's in scripture that cannot be changed. Remember that. So I want to start today's lesson an hour later. (laughs) With that verse, if you hear nothing else today with that. Lead the scripture with you. It's Acts 13 verses 1 through 3. And if you want to figure out where they're first called Christians at, it's in Acts 11. Right? It's in Acts 11. So, man, quickly. All right. So how does Africa come into come to play in church history? Last week I talked about Josephus, right, and how he writes about... Uh, Jewish history and he writes about how he saw during his time Jerusalem being destroyed by Vespasian the Roman Emperor right things to figure out during this time the Rome the Romans saw Christians as like a Jewish sect right they're Jews but they with this weird stuff so we just gonna lump them in together the Jews are like nah bro we ain't with them like stop putting me with these folks they crazy we good Vespasian is tired of Jewish revolts at this time. So as Jesus predicted in the Gospels before he, be, before he goes to the cross, he predicts that Rome would be destroyed, and it happens in AD 70. So something happens. Jews, Christians, everyone leaves Rome. And for the first time in, in world history, in Christian history, church history, christians are officially theologically and physically separated from from israel it has to stand on its own no longer tied to a synagogue no longer tied to the jewish name and the jewish in the jewish space capacity proximity they're gone many have fled to africa and this is where you start to see the first christian nations the first first set of, of uh of of African scholars rise up. You start seeing guys like Origen, uh, Tertullian, who was our first guy on the list, third century. Tertullian is African church father, and he is the first person to give us what we call Trinity for the Godhead. He's the first person. Because the thing is that Tertullian during this time is in this debate with this guy named, named Praxius, and Praxius is saying this he's saying man like there's no trinity like there's only one God so it can't be we're, like we don't worship three gods it's one God so God was the father he became the son he died then he became the Holy Spirit so he chops the Godhead up It says, like, they became, like, God became this, he became this, he became this, right? Tertullian's like, oh, whoa, you messing up the scriptures. Like, this is heresy. Like, they're three in one. They're the same in substance, but their function is different. They're three in one. And y'all are just like, man, I don't even know how to explain that. Guess what? It's such, a, it's such a crazy concept, but if you really think about it, Praxius and Tertullian, if the Godhead is one person that became these things, man, Christianity actually falls apart. It is imperative that the Christian faith hangs on the Trinity. Here's why. Tell you and writes this: The devil is opposed to the truth in many ways. He says that the Father himself became a virgin and was born of her, himself suffered, in fact that he himself was Christ. It was Praxius, a restless foreigner, who first brought this kind of perversity from Asia to Rome. He put the Holy Spirit to, f- to flight and he crucified the Father. He goes on to write, "All are of one by unity of substance." While the mystery of the economy is still guarded, which distributes the unity into into a trinity, placing in their order three persons, the Father, the Son and Holy Spirit. If you want these notes, I will email you. I did not put them on your paper because it would have been like eight pages. I'm not doing that, but I can send them to you. You can have all the notes. Right. So this is why this is important. It's a relationship. Christianity is built on the premise, man, of a relationship. What God has within himself in the Father and the Son and in, in, in Holy Spirit is perfect unity. When he says, let us make man in our, in our own marriage, I mean, in our own image, he's talking to the Godhead, the Trinity. We are made for relationship the same way that God himself is in a relationship with himself. If you take away that unified perfect union, man, guess what? The entire faith falls apart because we're made in God's image to relate to one another, to to, to be in relationship with him. That's the whole reason why Jesus died was was to reconcile us back to this relationship. He says what? Father, you and I shared in the beginning. Right. Jesus says that if there was no Trinitarian relationship, man, the entire faith will fall apart. So Tertullian, an African church father, defends this. He fights for this. And it's because of him we have the Trinity. Right? Moving on. This is my favorite one right here. In fact, this is one of my church history heroes. I love Athanasius. His name is Athanasius of Alexandria. He was called the Black Dwarf. He was from Alexandria, Egypt. And he is one of the champions of Nicaea. If you talk to a lot of... uh, Kemetics, talked to a lot of hoteps in the street. Uh, These are, I said this last week, this is a group that believes that uh, black people, people of color should worship the Egyptian gods and reject Christianity because it's a false thing and Christ was created at Nicaea. This is a big thing in the black community. This is where I would say their narrative falls apart. Athanasius gets into it with a guy named Arius. Arius, um, let me see something. Arius is like Jesus was made by God. So he's not one with the Father. He's not of the same substance as the Bible says. Christ is begotten from the Father, right? Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? But he's saying, he was God made him. See the difference. Jesus and the Father have always been versus Jesus was made by the Father. This is what the account of Nicaea was all about. Arius gets defeated in a smaller council before he goes to Constantine, the emperor. He loses the battle and, st- and leaves somewhere and starts spreading this heresy some more. So now you have like this big division in the ancient church. You have the Alexandrian school, Athanasius and like his crew that are for like the, the scriptures. And Arius's crew was like, no, gee, Christ was made. He's not from God. Now we have a big fight, theologically, not throwing bowls, theologically. So Constantine's like, I don't care what y'all decide. Y'all going to figure this out. So at the Council of Nicaea, Athanasius vigorously defends the Christian faith so much so it's where Arius is exiled by Constantine. So he champions the Christian faith. Also, what Athanasius does is he is the first person to give us our modern day New Testament. He was the first person to affirm our 27 books of the Bible. This African brother that defended the faith in so many ways, literally saved the Christian faith at the Council of Nicaea. If Arius wins at Nicaea, all of us are walking around thinking Jesus was made. And he's not the son of God. Well, he is the son of God, but he's not God. He's similar to God. And if Christ isn't God, I have no salvation, because I had to take a perfect man, a God man, to die on the cross. If he is made, if God, if he's the first created being, as 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 Arius said, if he's the first created being and not God himself, there is no hope. Perfection is lost. But because Athanasius defended the faith, man, this belief that Jesus is God, same substance, not similar substance, one with the Father, it's because of him, man, we, the Christian faith still holds truth today in doctrine and orthodoxy, Athanasius. All right. Is this good, y'all? Is this good? Oh, yeah. this, this is good. this good? It's good? All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> Question What faith or what belief system sounds like one of these t- today? What belief system? Huh? Let me see. Mm-hmm. There, there is a group that is similar to Arius and what Praxius believe, Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't. They don't. They don't. Nope. Their belief, I think, is, seri- is similar to Arius or Praxius. I can't. I think it's Arius. I want to say it's Arius, but they believe Jesus was made. So it's so think about this. It's funny how, y'all, this stuff does not go away. Ain't it funny how a lot of earlier stuff that we saw thousands of years ago, we still see today is just in a new form in what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. So if you can understand this. How Christ is not made, but he's one with the father. You can engage Jehovah's Witnesses. And give them the truth of the gospel as well. I see, you, I see you back there, taking it all in. I see you, Deja. Deja like, this is good. <laughs> She's like, this good. All right. All right, my last. I'm not going to have no time for this, but um, my guy mentioned David here. He mentioned Augustine. Let me see. Hey, Bob, I hear you. All right, so last one, Augustine. Man, one scholar said about Augustine that outside of Jesus and Paul, he's the most influential person in Christian history, Augustine, and he was North African. In fact, in one of his writings, he even calls himself and affirms his African identity as he's talking about um, one of his countrymen that was famous. So Augustine is famous. In fact, his views on sin, his views on God's grace, is what influenced Martin Luther and many other uh, European reformers. It was Augustine that influenced him the most. One of the things Augustine believed was um, he's engaging with this guy named Pelagius, And pretty much, Palladius believed this. He believed that um, mankind is not born with a sinful nature, pretty much. That we all have free will, right? And so because of that free will, we can choose to sin or not to sin. And so their whole debate was, well, if we're not sinners, then that means perfection can be achieved, right? So Augustine, right, uh, goes back and forth with Pelagius on this idea that now mankind is sinful, we're born sinners, Our, our free will, even though we have it, is chained because of sin, so there's no righteousness of our own that we can conjure up for salvation And here's the thing about this. (laughs) Augustine kind of doesn't win the debate. Like people get him and like he understands it. But the way we talk about sin in the church as as a whole in the world today now. Augustine kind of, he dies not being renowned, right? Ain't it funny how you can fight for something and in your time not see your impact? But then thousands of years later, man, everyone talks about you. That was Augustine. And so his view of God's grace, his view of sin, his view of why we need redemption was taken up by the reformers during the reformation and many others. Right. And as a result, man, his views of sin and grace have stood the test of time as well. These are three major African church fathers that help us see the importance of people of color in the Christian faith so when people say Christianity is a white man's religion you know we can say man there are three African brothers and one was called the black dwarf short dark-skinned brother that defended the Christian faith and it's because of him we have what we have today right these brothers lastly I'll say this one more person uh, Martin Luther, um, the Reformation happens, I think, in 1517. It happens in 1517. He stamps, he, he, he nails the thesis on the door. Reformation takes off. 17 years later, and this is in your notes, he writes to the Ethiopian church. He consults the Ethiopian church because he's like, how how did y'all remain free from Catholicism for that long? Like, how are y'all doing this, right? And, and, and I have two links on your notes by David Daniels. Uh, I've met, met Dr. Daniels a number of times. In fact, when we had our conference in September, flew, flew, like, flew back with him and sat by him on the plane. Man, we talked for so long, it was so cool, but anyway talking about about his research, about what he's doing, uh, the presence of black Christians in America prior to slavery. That was a cool conversation, too. That was a cool conversation. But all this to say, um, Luther consults with the Ethiopian church because there's three things that they did in their church that the Catholics were not doing that he wanted to infuse in the Reformation. And, and, And here were three things. In fact, he wrote to them on July 4th, that's crazy, right? July 4th, it's crazy. Uh, they had communion of, of, of both kind, bread and wine. Catholics just did bread. So he wanted to instill that. Uh, scripture in the people's common language. Remember, this is one, one issue that Martin Luther had with, with, with the Catholic Church. Like the public didn't have access to the scriptures like that was one of the things about the reformation that he wanted to do and the Ethiopian church already had that they had a bible in the people's language again the only christian circle in the world that was not touched by catholicism and they had this so communion of both bread and wine together and scripture in the people's language the third thing was married clergy the the Ethiopians also didn't do indulgences to where uh, you could pay for dead loved ones' uh, penance and salvation. They didn't have that. They didn't have. Um, what else did they have? Come on. Uh, Come on. Uh, <coughs> uh, huh? Yeah. Well, the pen, uh, the indulgence to like they paid for like penance. They used to, not anymore. They didn't do. It. I'm talking about at at, at the time. The thing that led to the reformation was stuff like that paying the priest paying bishops for their loved ones to get them into heaven right that was going on and luther's like this is foolishness right come on talk to
1: me
0: man yeah
1: come on
0: that's a corrupt system, bro. So that sparked reform. So as Luther's doing all this, right, he writes to the Ethiopian church. And the guy he consults with is called Michael the Deacon. And he sends Michael the Deacon his articles of the Christian faith and what he believes. And the Ethiopian Churchly leader says this. He says, this is a good creed. This is faith. And Luther, from there, the Reformation is in full steam and he's not looking back. So what that tells me is, right, even as this European reformer, Martin Luther, that a lot of us talk about in this reformed Presbyterian space, right, as we, as we, as we, as we prop up guys like him, he did some great stuff, right? We also know that as he is taking this newfound idea of the Christian faith for his time and running with it, man, he's consulting with the black church, the Ethiopian church, and they vibing, they talking. In fact, Luther extends to them the right hand of fellowship right as he's doing this because he's like, man, they're doing it right. I want it to be, I want to be like this. So there's like this shared understanding of what Christianity needs to be. And so even though we had the reformation that was your European birth, it wasn't without the input of the black church. So it's not solely your your European. Some of the things Luther wanted, the Ethiopian church was already doing. And he wanted to be like that. So I wish I had more time with this because I want to dive in, but I gave you guys some links. I gave you all some scriptures. I mean, not scriptures, but like some historical facts to kind of Boost you in your research and your studies as you look for it on your own. Um, I got time for one more. Type one more. My last one is a Stephanos. So this is someone I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm still learning about him. So about two years ago, um, I was asked to do some study on a Stephanos. I'm going to tell you how much information is on this. I could not find anything in America per se on him. I was told I had to call a European library for it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm still gathering information on this. But a Stephanos was an Ethiopian monk a hundred years before Luther as they were going through reform in Ethiopia. Because some of the similar stuff that the Catholic Church was going through in Luther's time, they hit. So Stephanos is fasting. He's praying about reform and he's teaching his disciples and like they're trying to do something different. And he was persecuted and tortured for what he was trying to do in Ethiopian reform. And it was these three things, similar to what Luther was doing Uh, There should be nothing above scripture Not the priests, not the king, not the monarchy, scripture, and nothing else, right? No veneration or worship of Mary, right? That was going on Uh, Opposing the king's involvement in ordinations Right, Kings can't ordain who they want to be priests and who they want to be in church leadership. That's not their job, right? And then lastly, they opposed bowing to the king. So as Ethiopia kind of hits this, like these issues prior to Luther taking them on, a Stephanos steps up and he's tortured. He's persecuted, but he stands on the gospel in Ethiopia, bringing it reform as well, right? So here's a brother. That I'm telling you, most folks have not heard this dude. I didn't until two years ago, and I still know very much, very little about him. But the more I gather and the more I'm kind of picking up like he was one of the key reformers in this in the 15th century in the Ethiopian church. And so, what we're seeing is like, y'all, the Christian church is not without struggle. Like, the church is not without battle. We have an enemy in Satan, in the accuser, in the liar that is always seeking to creep in and turn the church from the truth. And each time that happens, God raises up people to speak into it, to guide the church back to orthodoxy, to grab, to, to turn the church back to truth he's always doing that and guess what he's doing that now even though the church seems messy it seems crazy it seems like man what's going on God is always raising up people to defend the truth and that's what I love about about apologetics is that what it does is it helps bring the truth into the culture it helps to speak into the culture, to give a defense for the Christian faith so people can see the true Jesus and the real God and the real gospel, right? So my hope is that, um, man, as, as we finish up over the next two weeks, man, y'all take this and man, defend the truth, defend the gospel with love and, and like grace, of course, but defend it, man. Be champions of truth of the gospel. And next week we'll talk about the Black Hebrew Israelites. Exclusively. That's gonna be a whole hour. And I'm even gonna translate some Hebrew for you. We're gonna dive into the Hebrew text next week. So y'all come ready. Bring, bring some caffeine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh yeah. Here we go, right here. Uh let me pull from my questions, make sure y'all was paying attention. I told y'all pay attention, y'all thought I was crazy. Um let me see. Who was the the atheist agnostic that affirmed the church's views of morality was it tom dang it that boy paying attention that boy, that boy ain't been here in three weeks and he got it that man said that man said tom holland you got it bro you got it look and, and so i said dang it because i was like dang that man understood that i said that name one time i thought you were gonna i thought he was gonna forget about it but uh that's good that's good man there you go so y'all resources but before we go three resources i'm uh, uh, i'm going to tell you about first one is my favorite read this book about nine years ago and changed my life oneness embrace written by dr tony evans this book is foundational in so many ways for my faith um he talks about black church history he talks about uh, black power, he talks about uh, liberation theology he talks about so much stuff in a gospel centered way that, that pretty much changed, my wife will tell you I read this book when we first got married and it pretty much messed me up, so great book. Uh, second one, my guy David got it uh, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind by Thomas C. Oden he gives a survey of African church history and most of the people that he, that he quotes in this book or like he takes um information from and puts out are from african scholars and historians amazing book on the survey of christianity in africa and then lastly one of my favorite books from seminary uh over the past couple of years has been foundational for me as well uh justo gonzalez writes the story of christianity and he writes from the first century all the way to the reformation to Martin Luther and early church history. He talks about Athanasius, Tertullian, uh, Augustine, all these books that you heard about tonight. So three books, González' Story of Christianity, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind, and Oneness Embrace by say, Tony you, you Evans. You still find this on Amazon, right? Amazon, yep. If you, if you, if you click Amazon, uh, The Slave Bible, uh-huh. that exact photo should pop up. Oh, okay. And it's twenty-seven dollars. Twenty-seven dollars. So it's so. Don't eat Chick-fil-A for three days, and you straight. Come on. Come on. While you're up here, bro, pray us out. Pray us out. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for.